Welcome to Liberty Station, where we are a threat to the Great Reset, and this is Bryce Eddy, your host, and today I am super excited because I have a dear friend with me, and uh, I met this man sort of coincidentally. Um, I had a Christmas party and, and brought him in um, because we had, uh, we had a bunch of family and friends during COVID, and, and we were curating wonderful people who during 2020 did not want to be masked up and wanted to celebrate as normal and uh and one of my good friends said hey can i bring my brother-in-law and his family and i said sure why not more the merrier and so i got to meet professor grant horner at uh, my own house during my own christmas party on christmas day and uh, we became fast friends I had Grant on um, a couple of uh, months ago, I think now, and uh, and so we dove into a little bit more of his background. So if you want to go to that episode and watch that and, and get a little bit more detail, but Grant is currently a professor at Masters University, and uh, I got a uh, privilege to sit in because my girls are considering that school and I got to sit in one of his classes and just thoroughly enjoyed it. In fact, tears in my eyes because I thought, hey, if school could be like this, if I'd known that when I was graduating high school, I would have uh, definitely taken one of his classes. So anyway, sir, how are you? I'm well. I didn't realize I had been curated. Now I feel like a paleontological exhibit or something like that. But yeah, Merry Christmas. I'm glad I was your Christmas present. And my wife and my daughter were there. Oh, no, you guys are wonderful. And I just uh, love your wife to death. Her her Great energy is is just amazing. Yeah. And your whole family is just special to me. And, and so I'm, I'm so glad to have you on and have you on in person. So yeah, it's great, exciting. Yeah, and I do curate things, by the way, because All and right. I tell my I tell my daughters this, and this is something that I think the uh, the audience should think about. Um, you know, we we go through life, and oftentimes friends happen to us, mm-hmm. right? You just you just yes. meet people, and then they happen to you, and then they're in your circle, but they're not always good for you. They're not always the the people that you want to grow up to be. And if you take that kind of intentionally and and figure out, okay, you know, how do I connect with people that I want to be like? How do I connect with people of my values? How do I meet people that challenge me onto something better? Be intentional. Yeah. And you approach it, you know, from an intentional standpoint. I mean, the quality of your life is going to be amazing. And the the single greatest thing um, I think during this you know, COVID experience was we got to see who we don't want to be friends with pretty mm. quick. Yeah, it was uh, the, this this great reset thing is also a great sifter. Yes, right. You get a, you got a lot a lot of uh, I guess uh, uh, self limiting and self uh, self removal maybe from your your friend. And interestingly enough, just right before the show started, we found out that. My longtime friend, 22 years, Dr. Robert Yoho, has been on your show yeah, a couple yeah. of times. Yeah, I guess he's great. We didn't know that we, we had kind of triangulated uh, there. But yeah, that's a friendship. And he and I have this long-running joke. You know, he says he collected me. Right. He met me when oh, I want to climb with that guy. And then I'm like, no, 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 Bob, I, I, I thought you were good. No, I want to hang with you. And then we've got other friends in our group who are like, we collected him and then him. And they're like, no, 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 we all collected you. But yeah, curation is the word. And here's the Latin nerd joke for the day. The Roman Catholic Church, they're curia. That, that just means care. So we get the word care. So you want to take care to 
curate and build around you the people, like Proverbs says, that you know, he, he is wise who walks with wise men. You spend time with people. I mean, I've, I've got a friend who's in his mid-80s, has been at Masters since I was five years old as a professor, senior guy there, and I regularly spend time with him because I, I can't get enough of the kind of just down-to-earth wisdom the guy has. Yeah. So yeah, you do curate relationships if you're wise. Yeah, and I and I think that is that is wisdom, and it and it will make your life identifiably better than the next guys or gals. Shouldn't be random. No, no, it shouldn't. It should. That's right. Well, um, you are a bit of a Renaissance man, and that's one of the things I like about you. And now you're probably going to correct me on whether I should use that term or not. Um, but I'll take but, it as a compliment. Yeah. Well, the compliment that I that I say is, you know, you are you're an athlete. You are, you know, a a climber, and you have you know pursued the uh, many mountaintops throughout your life, and and been a high level climber, and you have been climbing with the who's who of that sport for you know many many years. Um, in addition to you being the you know who's who of uh, you know Bible professors out there, which uh, which I love, and, and if you um, ever are blessed enough to go to this guy's office, um, you will see. Um, curated uh, texts yeah. that are ancient and ancient manuscripts and artifacts that you have collected over the years in, in your travels. and yeah. Our campus everything. magazine is sending a photographer over tomorrow at 1 o'clock to take pictures. They're like, you know, tell us five cool things. So I've got a Roman funerary marker written in Latin. It's from the, the, the age of Caesar Augustus, the time of the life of Christ, um, and a bunch of books from the 16th century and just different things like that that I've collected over over time. I like I like things that are old. I don't like my old knees that are now 58, yeah. <laughs> right? I wish I could have new ones. But things that are old are, are valued. I mean, that's a large part of what it means to be conservative in the traditional sense, right. the wise sense, not necessarily right-wing Republican, anything, but you have a respect for things that have been in place for a long time, from the accumulated wisdom and knowledge and science and philosophy and art and culture and theology, yeah. right? I mean, the reformers in the 16th century, they weren't coming up with something new. They were trying to say, we need to go back and correct some errors that the church has fallen into over the last thousand years of medieval Roman Catholicism. Yeah, and we're getting rid of that now. I mean, if you, um, it, there is zero respect for not just tradition, and again, not not con, you know conservative um, you know thoughts to to use that term, but but um, for history, for accurate history, for um, uh, we solved so many problems. There's a, there's a guy that I listen to from time to time. Not not a uh, not a Christian by any by any stretch, but I think he he says um, some very wise things. And I don't believe this is his original thought, but Naval Ravikant is his name. So I want to give credit where I heard it from. But he said that uh, old problems require old solutions, and new problems require new solutions. And uh, and what we have done in modern-day culture is we are trying to rethink things that we already solved, throw out um, you know, thousands of years of wisdom. Um, parenting is an example of that. You know, Marriage, we, family, uh, all those structures. All, all of those things, you know, th- this new, nouveau kind of group of people are coming up and saying, oh, I know better than you. I use the example for parenting because I, I had argument with some family members that are coming from more of a liberal left, you know, left leaning side, not necessarily a communist side, but left leaning. Mm-hmm. And and basically they are listening to these folks. And I found it interesting because I looked into it with this newfangled ideas of parenting. The people that they're listening to don't even have kids. 
Of course. Or they have very small children, right? So you don't yeah. actually know no if they're going to come out the other side. When you have grandchildren, that's when that's I want, I want your to parenting to. advice. Yeah. Because I just, my wife and I just spent a glorious month in Alaska with our brand new seventh grandchild, our, our granddaughter Lorelai. And I just, I got to, because I was the morning shift guy, diapers and change and everything in the morning. Yeah. I got to hold her and have her to myself for three or four hours early every morning. And I was thinking, how many things do I wish I had known then yeah. that now and now I might be able to give you some advice on parenting, but what yep. did I know when I first started? Not well, much. and and yeah, most of us are you know going through it, um, you know, and I and I was uh, I had some you know as most twenty year olds do, I had some angst towards my dad until I started to go through some of my own issues in life, and then I realized suddenly. Wait a second! It was his first time through too. <laughs> you know? That's why the first time on the roller coaster is always the most exciting. After that, you just sit in the front and watch your friend freak out. Yeah, right? yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, but but you know we need to be you know going to you know sources of wisdom yeah. and that experience includes, has no peer. That includes people that have gone before us. That includes history, and that includes obviously the Bible. Yeah. So the world is filled with people who are incredibly opinionated and wildly uninformed. Yeah, that, that's what we do. We're, yeah. We are all naturally very arrogant, and most of the time, you just be quiet, which is very awkward when, like me, you're an introvert and you want to spend your time silently reading, thinking, talking, and writing. But then you end up in a job where you talk for a living. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and it's funny people people don't always understand that because I'm I'm also an introvert and an internal processor, and and you know uh, when you tell people that because you know I. I talk for a living not just you know with this show and the other things that I do I talk for a living but you know after a, a you know couple of hard days of you know that and everything I want to retreat into my own little world and don't bother me for a while yeah, it's like three little twin brothers in the backseat of the car on a long road trip and they're all saying the same thing don't touch me don't touch me don't touch me that's how <laughs> I feel after going up in front of talking people or spending a day teaching classes yeah. or meeting with students yeah I love them but then I've got to have that quiet downtime. well I have to well, I know one of the things that you that you teach is really thinking, and I think we have um, lost that in our university system in general. That's why the the schools are falling to pieces. But I was so impressed with getting to you know audit your your class, and you did sort of the Socratic method. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, where do you think, or or do you have any? Uh, observation on on where we went wrong in you know not teaching people to think first and foremost to think for themselves examine things all that and then just instead hey i'm going to you know vomit at you information that now you're going to you know memorize and absorb as your own where do you think that that kind of changed and you know what are your thoughts yeah yeah that that's a great question well I mean, the root goes back to what is taught at, at, at a core foundational level in uh, both traditional Jewish thought and Christian thought, often referred to, referred to as Judeo-Christian values. And the idea is that something happened and, is, and we are now broken, right? The theological explanation is a fall away from God, a fall away from a paradisical, uh, Edenic state of human original perfection. We were designed... Uh, uh, wonderfully and marvelously and to be beautiful and holy in every kind of way. But because we rejected God in Adam and then all of us individually with our selfish sinfulness that have come from our Adamic nature, um, the the end result is that uh, among many other things, 
we have what I call epistemological ambiguity. It is very difficult for us to be certain about things. Oftentimes we're certain about things that we're dead wrong on, but we don't know that. Oftentimes we are filled with doubt on things that are as plain as the nose on our face. And so we tend to tend to function in a fog. And in the long history of Western thought, one of the things that arose out of that worldview is actual traditional science, where you've got guys like in the early 17th century, Sir Francis Bacon, who writes a whole series of books all coming together under this thing called the Magna Instauratio, the Great Instauration. It's basically an image of a temple that has been defiled, and an instauration is a, is a cleansing and a rededication of the temple to its original purpose. So what he said is that knowledge is, is, is all messed up. Learning, you know, look at medieval medicine, medieval dentistry. Oh, you know, you're going like this, so let me drill a hole in your head. You did not want to get sick in the <laughs> Middle Ages, right? They were going to trephinate you. And so what guys like Sir Francis Bacon are doing in the 17th century saying, we are going about the process of developing a coherent body of knowledge all wrong. And we need to change from these certain kinds of supposedly logical and traditional system that we've held for a long time and clear the slate and start all the way back at basic observation, recording of observation. And he eventually develops inductive rationalism, the scientific method. Now, is that system absolutely perfect? No, human beings are corruptible. Look what's happening in the world of science, just like the world of politics. Everything is corrupted because human nature is corrupted. But if you don't start off with the basic foundation of our tendency is towards error and towards confirmation bias and towards believing lies that other people tell us, that we tell ourselves, it's a disaster from the get-go. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I um, I hope that we can start to bring that back. And one of the things that I'm um, excited about, and I noticed it, you know, being on the master's campus, I'm noticing it with the uh, young uh, Turning Point kids or the Prager mm-hmm. Youth Force or um, all of those that are coming up now through you know, shoot, even, um, you know, elementary schools, um, and well, I should say elementary age, because a lot of these are homeschool kids or right. kids that are in private education. Um, uh, although boy, private education's having a rough time too. um, you know, kind of being infected with the world, but I'm seeing, uh, this, uh, what, what, is bringing me optimism is a great awakening or a shift back towards like the, um, these kids are the rebels all of a sudden. Like if you want to yeah. think through things, if you don't want to just swallow hook, line and sinker, the company line, all of a sudden you're, you're a, you're a rebel and a revolutionary. And it happens to be you're, you're, you're a revolutionary because you like good. Yeah. The joke now is that rage against the machine, the band is totally part of the machine. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they are talking abortion, abortion, and everything that is woke and so on and so yeah. forth. You've probably seen the meme that's been around for a couple of years of, you know, rebel in 1960, and it shows a guy with some tats, you know, and some weird hair and, you know, some face metal and, yeah. you know, smoking a joint, you know, you know, uh, flipping the bird at the, uh, you know, at the man. Yeah. And now the rebels are a heterosexual cisgender family yeah, with yeah, children yeah. that they love and train up in traditional cultural mores. Yeah, so yeah, so. can you can Yeah, you it's believe a bizarre that? reversal. It's a bizarre reversal. But what's happening is a lot of young people are finding that spending all day on social media, which is which is a, a, an accelerationist kind of contagion in some ways. It is. I mean, that, that phrase, go viral, is much more than a metaphor. Yeah. And, and it really infects and damages the soul. And, and young people, many young people, are finding that soaking in that, that poisonous broth all day long 
and going after those likes and trying to be an influencer and trying to get, you know, half a million TikTok views in one day and so on and so forth. And everything that, 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 that gets dragged in on the carpet with that, right, the, uh, uh, the anti-objectivity uh, biases, the anti-biological material reality. I mean, the, the hilarious thing is these people who for generations have claimed to be materialists, we're not religious, we're materialists, we're scientists, are now anti-materialists. Mm -hmm. in their physical bodies. This yeah. is exactly, by the way, what C.S. Lewis is talking about in the Screwtape Letters, where he says, we haven't quite, you know, the demons, we haven't quite yet created our ultimate uh, uh, creation, which will be a materialist magician. Now you have it. You have people who are biologically male saying that that's not what they are, and they actually use words, pronouns particularly, in an incantatory style, like an incantation, like a medieval monk's chant, saying, if I just say it enough times, I will be that. Mm -hmm. But they wake up every morning and they go to the bathroom the same way. And I recently read a whole series of articles, watched some unspeakable videos on YouTube about what happens with the different kinds of trans surgeries they're doing, how they construct body parts to change a person. And it's horrifying, almost beyond belief, what is being done. Yeah, it's it's horrific. And, you know, here in our local community, and I think I told you before, you know, we, we have this, uh, you know, transgender mob movement mm -hmm. right now that is, you know, pushing this stuff on on these kids. And uh, and, and it's interesting, you know, the more I'm learning and, you know, we have a private investigation firm and, you know, it doesn't take too much to learn about a lot of the folks that are pushing this stuff behind the scenes. Um, some of them have transgendered their own children. Right. And some of them, I believe, are. Uh, you know, their kids got caught up in the social contagion because it is very real. You know, mm -hmm. when you've got a 20 percent um, up to 40 percent in some of these classrooms claiming, especially where the teacher is leading it. Of course. But uh, claiming that they are somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum or they're non-binary or something. Right. You you cannot actually be quote unquote cisgender, which is such a you know bizarre <laughs> term that they're using. Um you, ca you cannot quote, I'm going to say what it is. You cannot be normal um, and be popular, you know? I, right. I mean, so it's so it's this social contagion I have to thing. be unique like everybody else. Yeah, That's they're, the problem. They're, they're then preying upon normal confusion that kids go through when they're being bombarded by hormones. But 10 to 17-year-olds, we have always had that problem. Oh, yeah. Did you not feel weird in that age group? I, I was... I mean, I don't know what I was. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's, it's bizarre. But now you've, you're getting this, this imprinting of a kind of a schematic that causes you to lose all mooring yeah. to reality. Yeah, no, they're saying, they're saying, hey, you feel weird? We've got a, a path for you to go down, you know, right. because maybe why you feel weird is this. So come mm -hmm. along with us. You're yeah. going to be popular it's for a time. Logical. It seems internally we're gonna, coherent. Yeah, we're going to solve all of those problems. Yeah. You, you're your going to feel so much don't better. Don't tell your parents. Yeah, don't tell your parents. Don't you know? Don't uh, you know? Don't let any, let any of those adults know. You're, we're going to lead you down this path, and then that path includes you know chemical castration mm -hmm. sterilization mm -hmm. uh you know hormone blockers and things that are you know the same stuff that's used on um you know pedophiles in prison to chemically castrate them you know and then radical surgeries and mm -hmm. and most people don't realize how radical those surgeries are yeah right yeah and and we don't know for sure exactly how the 
addition or removal of these complex chemicals are, the hormones and everything that go with that. I mean, I'm not a physician. I don't know about that, but I have a good friend who's an expert on it. We don't know what will actually happen to a biological female's body if her ovaries and breast tissue are removed. If if there is, we we don't know. We don't know. It's It's a form of child abuse, to my mind, that is it's different than, but it's on a par with child sexual abuse. It yeah. is a form of sexual abuse. I, think. Uh, I I I agree because again, there's you know there are there are people and 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 God bless them. I pray for them that that their kids get caught up in this stuff mm-hmm. and they're being told by society as parents that oh this is a normal thing you're going to have to support them. Would you? And then they're they're emotionally blackmailed because they're being told do you want a yep. you know a dead child that's right. or do you want one that's transgendered kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. So they're giving them this false choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what we've all done throughout history with our kids is, you know, help them to see around the bend, see yeah. them around corners, uh, tell them that of you're going to get through this. You know, yeah. yeah, you feel weird. Have dialogue with your kid. Of course right. you do. You're being bombarded by hormones. Teach them what's going yeah. on. Um, you know, my my oldest daughter, who who you know, Angela, is super cute, and she's a very self-aware kid and, and, and expresses it all, yeah. you know, very well. And she she looked at me one time when she was you know in the midst of of all of this, and she's like, "Dad, I just feel weird. I just I, I just I don't know. I want to cry and I want to scream and I want to laugh all at the same time. I just feel so weird." And you know, she says that to me, and she goes, "I I, I need to." And we were you know we were doing CrossFit as a family at that mm-hmm. time, and she recognized that that helped a lot. So she's like, yeah. I, I just need to go work out, you know, and, and right. express some of that energy and get that out. And, and that yeah. I, I advise parents out there that don't know, know this, but hard physical exercise Absolutely. straightens that up really, really well. The soy boys aren't on. made out of soy because they eat and drink soy. It's because they don't do hard, heavy things that hurt. Yep. Yes. That's why. It is awesome to be a man, to do things that make you feel like... If I, I remember the first time that I tried Tabata, mm-hmm. I had to lay on the floor yeah. afterwards. And then I realized I couldn't because my heart was like <laughs> way over what it should have been. The first time I did it with my son, who was a super masculine, very fit, very strong guy. First time I did it with my oldest son, you know, he went in the bathroom and threw up afterwards. Oh, so yeah. Like, oh, how yeah. can a four-minute workout, you really do that? Oh, yeah. Try it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's brutal. That's, that's what the human body is designed to do, particularly yeah, male bodies. Yeah, well, and it's well, very in, good for you. In, in CrossFit, we, the, uh, the CrossFit equivalent uh, you know, is this workout called Fran. And Fran consists of uh, 21 pull-ups, 21 thrusters, uh, 20, oh, it's actually thrusters, then pull-ups, and then 15 thrusters, 15 pull-ups, 9 and 9. And you do that as fast as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, guys that are, you know, that have good scores are sub three minute. And yes, I've been there many times. Um, but, Not you me. know, two, 223. <laughs> 223 is my record on that. But but you go through that, you know, super fast, super brutally. Yeah. And, and you lay on the floor afterwards. Yeah, you for, kick in the fight or flight. Uh, Everything is red line, and, and then and then you know I, I, I'll, you'll have a headache for two hours after because yeah. it's like maximum. But how do you feel for the next eighteen effort. to twenty four? Oh, you feel amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's it's yeah. like everything the monster drinks promise 
and yes. can't deliver because yes. it's real. Yes, and and you know, and we're and we're meant to do that. And mm-hmm. and both you know, both men and women need to express themselves physically, and we've eliminated most of that mm-hmm. out of our culture. Mm-hmm. And so you know, you you layer on top of that this this confusion, you know, the the going through hormones, uh, the elimination of a lot of PE in schools. They you know, remember PE was a requirement that that, um, and I'm not sure about it locally, but in a lot of school districts and things, they sort of eliminate. It or, I was born in the first or, half of or, the '60s. Or neutered he it. He was every day, yeah. for an hour, and it was like actual hard physical work. Yep. And when I was a little kid, you know, going through school in the '60s and '70s, in elementary school at least, you know, you had one or sometimes two sessions about 20 minutes long of recess. You went outside. We had monkey bars. Very yeah, dangerous. Yeah. Can't have that. Too oh, much no, liability. Had right. monkey bars and sand and all this kind of. And we would run around like lunatics yeah. for 20 minutes and come in and now I'm eight years old and I can sit and do math for an hour. Yeah. And, and now that that's gone, everybody's on Ritalin they, and Adderall. They, do, and they drug them up. They that's, drug them up. That's exactly right. Half which, the boys in this country are drugged up with that stuff. It's terrible. Which I talk about on, on this show and I did a, um, a you know Prager thing uh, the other day and, and mentioned it as well. But um, the vast majority of school active shooters and you know people that engage in that kind of violence are on psych meds. They're and on SSRIs. They're they on are Adderalls and Ritalins and all those kinds of things. Yeah. In yeah. addition to many other factors, but that is kind of a through line, mm-hmm. and you just don't see that in the mainstream media. They won't report on it. But the data's out there. Oh, it, it is out there. And um, now and, the guy our- at the food court the other day. This was oh, in yeah. Missouri. Uh, Indiana, Indiana, I believe. Indiana, okay. The guy who had trigger control, self-control, aim, and did the UDA, the Military Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. Yep. Boom, 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 boom. Ten shots, took that guy out, saved who knows how many lives. You think that guy was medicated? You think that that guy ever exercised or had any masculine man in his life? Yes, he did. Amen. Because he saw an evil person doing evil thing yeah. to innocent bystanders. He said, I have the ability to stop this. And I'm going to do it, and I don't care what the mall sign says about don't bring in guns. Which is so funny because you know right now he's he's being over the last couple of days uh, he's being vilified now mm-hmm. because it was against mall policy. Uh, um, the fact that those folks bring that up, it, you know, they they honestly you know need to go somewhere else. We all get into a position where we've lost an argument entirely. Yeah. And the manly thing, the wise, intelligent thing to do is say, you know what, I don't like it, but I can't argue back. Yeah, they're in that position, but will not admit it. Well, what's interesting about that is so this uh, you know uh, good man uh, with a gun, um, you know, you know what what defeats a bad guy with a gun? A good guy with a gun is the thing, right? Well, the um, good does not mean nice. And and what they mm-hmm. what they did was like the Uvalde, Texas guys that failed to act, that yep. did not act in courage, that did not you know go after that. Um, those guys uh, they they look at that and say, oh, see, a good guy with a gun did not stop the bad guy with the gun. See, you know what we need to do is uh, is you know. Uh, Get rid of all the guns in the world, and no, that is not the case. Those weren't good guys. They were not good guys. No, they lacked courage. You saw one guy go get hand sanitizer. You saw I the other guy leaning that. up against said, the you wall. Have to watch this video. Texting. I couldn't get through the video yeah. because I thought it was going to break my computer. Yeah. Well, and I've and I've talked about this other places, but we have we have uh, pulled back from hiring warriors in the police departments, like intentionally over the last couple of decades. They shifted their hiring practices because they did not want military vets. They did not want guys that that were they they would you know make you wait a long time if you were a military vet they they would 
interview in order to weed those guys out. So if they didn't say the right things, if they said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here to do justice and, you know, I'm here to fight for good, you know, things like that. Oh, you're out. Um, but the reality is, is we need the guys that are willing to launch themselves like missiles into the fray, willing to risk their lives and take bullets if necessary to protect those kids and and do that with good tactics teach them good tactics yeah. harness that so that they know that's what right. they're doing and that's then make right. sure that there's two or three guys deep so that if they get the one guy that's willing to launch himself like a missile the other guy gets the if bad I guy if i see bad people i don't want to be on hold trying to get a hold of the hot rock therapy guy yeah no that doesn't help no and this is why you know that jack nicholson line you can't handle the truth yeah 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 right rough men with guns you don't want Everybody to be rough men with guns, no. but you have to have some. Yes, and they have to have the discretion, the training, the ability to yep. do those things yep. because there are. And again, this goes this goes back to the period I work in the 16th century. Thomas Hobbes, 17th century, writes this book Leviathan and a lot of other things. He's one of the founders of you know English political theory on the royalist side of things, and he says life in the natural state for man is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Yep. Everything wants to kill you, including other people. Maybe not all people all the time, but everything is yeah. out to get you. They didn't even have germ theory back then yeah. or vaccines, right? Yeah. But he understood that it is a raw battle and you have to be realistic about that or you will not know what hits you. And you can, you can transfer that into the spiritual realm as well. If you think that there's no spiritual reality, the problem is that's like claiming that there's no material reality. You're going to get hit by a train. Yeah. The spiritual reality is as real as the material reality. It is a different thing, but they're organically related. And your belief about material reality is designed by God to eventually point to you and convince you, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, right? Everything in the material world is designed by God to point to him. And you eventually have to come to a point where you are willfully blinding yourself to the fact that there is a God. He's the author, the creator, the judge. He's good. He's gracious. But you don't want to deny him or live a life of continual disobedience to him, right? I mean, that's the message of the Bible. It's the message of, of Christianity. Amen. Amen. Well, good. Well, we're going to go to a quick sponsor, and we're going to thank them for their support of the show. And then I've got a follow-up question to that. Right on. It's scary times out there right now. With inflation, supply chain issues, and attacks on our currency, we are all feeling the pressure and it seems like a recession or maybe even a real depression is on the way. What impact are we going to see on our savings and retirement accounts? Well, you may want to make gold a part of your strategy. Birch Gold Group is who I trust to help diversify a portion of your retirement or convert an old IRA or 401k out of the risky stock market and into physical precious metals. Think about this. Since before the time of King David, one asset has held its value better than anything else in the history of the world, gold. And it can help protect you now. Text LIBERTY to 989898 and get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with precious metals in a tax-sheltered account. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, text LIBERTY to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text LIBERTY to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation info kit on protecting your savings with gold. Okay, so I have a um, question, um, and, and th for this, 
um, you know, you know, I'm a preacher's kid, right? So I'm going to need you to totally put the cookies at the bottom of the shelf because as a preacher's kid, I um, ignored and was allergic to a ton of, and I've talked about this on the show before, talk about eschatology and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of those, uh, you know, debates over Calvinism and Arminianism and, you know, <laughs> all of that stuff. I would listen to that and I would tune out. Now in the times that we're in, and I and I praise God for this, I am more interested than I ever have yeah. been in, you know, knowing my Bible more and mm-hmm. even considering some of these points of view that I was just like, all right, let's, let, you know, how is that relevant to me? Um, but uh, first, I would love for you to describe, uh, you know, briefly the position that you hold and masters and you know the the, the kind of underpinnings of your um, uh, in times theology, and then I have a sure. follow up on that. Sure. Yeah. Now I think you may have uh, had Doug Wilson on recently. Was that something uh, you were working he on is or upcoming? Going to do? He He's is upcoming. upcoming. Okay. Yeah. 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 And in fact, I'm going to have him. Uh, well, we're going to record it on my birthday, and oh, I have great. been diving into some oh, of fun. his books and, and yeah, listening to him. They've had and, me up to speak at New St. Andrews before, and I've hung out with him. He's, he's yeah. So I'm, so I'm really excited yeah. about that because I, I appreciate him so much. So yeah. yes, that'll be forthcoming, folks, yeah. and you will not want to miss that one. So he's he's kind of in you know what we would call kind of like a post-mill kind of Presbyterian reform view. I'm close to that in some ways, but different in some other ways. And uh, so if he and I, and he and I have had conversations about this, and I know his son-in-law and daughter and a bunch of his other family. And so theologically, there's some difference. But he and I would both say, and I say in public all the time, if you're a Christian of whatever stripe, but if you believe in the, the gospel in its simplicity, you believe in the Bible, you believe that, that you know, God has, has uh, made man in his image, that we've fallen away from God, but that God in his graciousness, not that he needed us, reached down to offer us a, 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 a way back to him through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. If you believe in that, if you, you know, in the creedal formulation of believe in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and through the different creeds produced throughout history, these I believes, that's what a creed is, a credo, I believe. Um, if you believe in that, then you share with all other Christians eschatology in its simplest form. Eschatology is the view of last things, right? right. The Bible teaches about God, that's theology proper, about man, that's anthropology. Hamartiology is the study of sin, so on and so forth. Eschatology different groups of people throughout history had have had different eschatologies. Basically, so what happens later? What happens in the end? Right. Does Jesus come back? Does God come back and rule the world? Yeah, well, what happens? So the ultimate, if you boil all Christian eschatology down to one point, every Christian would agree with this, which is, in the end, God wins. Amen. It's God's world. As Martin Luther says, he may be a devil, but he's God's devil. Right. He said it in German, which would have sounded really cool. And I don't <laughs> yeah. know German, but yeah. right. Um, so ultimately, eschatology is in the end, it was always God's. Right. And in the end, one way or another, it was always God's plan. God is not reactive, He's not changing His plans, right? God has a plan, but we don't understand how that works. And you just have to be okay with that kind of ambiguity. Uh, a lot of Christians get themselves into trouble trying to figure it all out. You get some wacko who starts making dates. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's reading weird and, things in the Bible, and that's the the struggle that I have. So you know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have 
um, conversations with, uh, you know, like my dad's more of an all millennialist mm-hmm. guy. And, you know, and, and my dad, you know, reads in his Greek New Testament every single day in the Greek, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, and then you have a Douglas Wilson, and then you have a, yeah. you know, John MacArthur and you, and you have these guys and, and some of them have, you know, opposite views or distinctly different yeah. views. And, you know, we, they all get in a room together. They all are incredibly scholarly and proficient and know the Bible backwards and forwards. And, and, uh, and yet there's these, you know, tremendous in-house debates and sometimes and church what's the fractures. Lesson, what's the lesson about that? Well, the lesson I take from that is none of us know for certain yep. all of it. And, and God cannot... Um, because of our small, tiny, little, finite brains, yep. he cannot download all of it into us. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the ability. And That's God what has I believe. chosen not to reveal everything. Even Jesus at one point says, I don't know the, 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 the day or the hour. Yeah. In other words, he's limiting his own omniscience and trusting his Father to work out what he's going to work yeah. out. So the number one rule for theology is, it has to be humility, right? I tell yeah. my students all the time, okay, you're studying Greek, you're studying Hebrew, and you're studying the Reformation with me and, and, and all these other kinds of things. Remember, no matter how much you know, it is a grain of sand compared yeah. to an infinite universe. Well, and some of these dudes are so arrogant about now, not the aforementioned group, because you know I think uh, I think uh, I mentioned all the reasonable people that I love, yeah. but um, but some of them are so arrogant. It's very well. It just you know, all of us. All of us struggle with pride. I mean, it's the, you know, male pride takes one form, female takes another form. They're similar in some ways, different in others. All of us struggle with that. But, you know, the Apostle Paul says knowledge puffs up, right? And knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Wisdom wisdom supersedes knowledge in many ways. You can have a lot of wisdom, but maybe not a lot of knowledge. Right. You can have a lot of knowledge, not a lot of wisdom. But when they're together, they're they're the one to kind of punch. Amen. So with that said, as a kind of little, little prologue, um, what what I believe is that um, uh, uh, mankind quite literally fell away from God, right? And that all of history from Genesis three forward, and all of human history is 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 a catalog, incomplete, biased, and so on and so forth. But it's a catalog of the destruction of man towards man, man's hatred towards God, his arrogance, you know, violence, all the terrible things that we do to one another. I mean, history is not a happy picture. Right. Right? You know, you want to be depressed, you know, major in art, philosophy, or history, right? In history, <laughs> the bad guys oftentimes win for a long, long, long right. time, right? This is Elie Wiesel's question in, in his book, Night, as, as he's describing being a kid, a Hungarian Jewish kid, in a death camp. Yeah. And watching them hang children because a chicken is missing. And he says, I looked into that little boy's face as he squirmed at the end of the rope, and my God died. Where was my God? Right? I mean, that that is a valid question. Yeah. It's yeah. a real question. Okay. But I believe that all, all of human history is a history of one disaster after another. Despite all the good things we've done and the technology and the advances, and it's one disaster after another. Yeah. Look at the world now. Think of what the last 50 years has been like. Human history in the last 50 years, with all the problems we've had, has been spectacularly successful. It's all being thrown away now, isn't it? Yeah. They want to burn it all to the ground. Yeah, yeah. And there's some various opinions as to who that they are, but the yeah. whole thing could collapse, couldn't it? Well, I, well, I, yes, and, and I think it's going to, to a, to a certain extent. Um, 
and and what you know what we come out of with it will you know will be interesting but mm-hmm. uh, but i believe and i keep saying this is they want to burn it down because they believe they can rebuild it in their rebuild own it image better. sure rebuild it in their yeah. own image instead of instead of god's of course of course so i think that that what happens is god allows humanity for you know a very long time to just build one empire and watch it collapse and build one empire and watch it collapse whether they're local little warlord fiefdoms or the Roman Empire or the Mongol Empire or anything like that and then 2,000 years ago God incarnates himself as Jesus Christ and comes into the world preaches you know peace and love and all the things that Jesus preached and then says there's no way to come to the Father but through the Son I am the way the truth and the life he's rejected by the Jewish leaders he is turned over to the Romans who essentially for a matter of expedience get rid of him just for minor political purposes and and then is bodily resurrected on the third day he breaks all the laws of biology when you're dead you're dead not if you're God and the Prince of Life which is who Jesus is Right, and then after a certain period of time, he ascends up into the heavens and is waiting to return. Now, you know, any any Christian would would agree with that. Right. Eschatology is a little bit different, right? Um, eschatologically, I believe, as a person who has a very narrow, very defined eschatological view, I am premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, but slightly kind of leaky dispensational type, maybe progressive <laughs> dispensational. I mean, if you want to, you know, quote all the articles or yeah. whatever. Um, but I also understand, I don't want to be like the scribes in Old Testament uh, um, uh, um, uh, Jerusalem who knew the Bible inside and out from copying it over and over. And then when their eschatology, when their Messiah came, they missed it. You can know this inside out and be really wrong on things. Yeah. We're all sinful. We all have limited knowledge. So nonetheless, I have a very carefully defined eschatology. Uh, you can read it on the Master's University website. Or, 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 you know, My joke about our doctrinal statement is it's slightly longer than the New Testament because we wanted to clarify a few points. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, but awesome. what I believe in the simplest, shortest term is that things sometimes will get better, sometimes will get worse. Sometimes it's local, sometimes it's global. But in the end, things will get worse and worse and worse, and eventually mankind will become so openly, brazenly wicked, going against nature, against God, against the laws of God and nature's God, as the founders would put it, mm-hmm. and that God will simply begin backing off of the restraint that he has put in the world in men's moral consciences individually, whether they're Christians or Jews or Muslims or pagans or secular materialists, whatever they are, that God will simply pull back. He'll basically allow your conscience to just kind of vaporize itself, right? The the, the Greek word for that uh, is the same word. We get the word cauterize. He will allow you to sear your conscience to where nothing really bothers me anymore. Mm-hmm. And you can justify anything. Right. Right? And... And while he's doing that, I believe that things get put into place culturally and politically to lead to what we would probably recognize as a one world government. Mm -hmm. And that at a certain point, God will actually remove the last kind of restraining dam that's holding back the flood of God's judgment on the world. And that, that last uh, uh, kind of restrainer is the Holy Spirit inhabiting the body of believers in the church. That's often called the rapture. There are various ways you can understand it. Uh, But I believe that God will simply remove Christians from the earth that will just be gone. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know if that means people suddenly disappear or if anyone knows. I have no idea what that will look like because, again, it's in the future and I I, I can't read it that closely. But I believe that the church will be removed from the world one way or the other. 
and uh, that that comes right at or maybe just before the beginning of a period of seven years that you see described in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and in Revelation in the New Testament and some other passages in the Pauline uh, letters. And it's, and it's you know, somewhat complex, but I think that the dispensational uh, pre-mill, pre-trib theology that I have landed on probably about 30 years ago, 35 years ago, uh, applies the most consistent hermeneutic to the relevant biblical text. Now, my Amel friends would say, here's where you're wrong, post-mill. You know, everybody's got a different view, but your view always depends on your hermeneutic. Right. Hermeneutics is, uh, Hermes was the uh, Greco-Roman god uh, that you see with the little sandals and the wings on it. He's kind of like the original Nike product placement guy, right? (laughs) And his job was to fly in between the Olympian gods carrying messages. Mm -hmm. So Hermes is the messenger god, and hermeneutics is... It's not really a science. It's kind of the science and the art of how to interpret something. Now, what I do for a living is I teach cultural hermeneutics. How do you interpret uh, culture? How do you interpret uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001? What do you do with Madonna? What do you do with (laughs) Russian novels? How do you think about palaces? What do you do with Russian history? What about the Byzantine church and and their mosaics? And I'm trying to help young people figure out how to build a structure uh, that's adaptable and changeable. It's not rigid, but teaches you how to think about culture theologically and culturally. Hermeneutics, more specifically, is the study of how you read and interpret the Bible. In other words, people will say, well, you're pretty conservative. You must be a literalist when you read the Bible. I'm like, yes, except for when I'm not. Right. Jesus didn't literally lead a bunch of little sheep around and have a crook and a staff, but he says, I'm the good shepherd. It's a metaphor. The 23rd Psalm is metaphorical. It's figurative language. And yet at the same time, while it's figurative and metaphorical, it's also literal. He really is a shepherd, and we really are sheep. I mean, I'm not bleeding, and I don't have nasty wool, right? But there's a place where those metaphors and those realities blend together because we learn through stories and we learn through metaphors. Right. This is why Jesus doesn't teach courses on systematic theology. He tells you stories. There was a certain man that had two sons, right? And, right. and, and, and you're like, it's a story. Now you want to listen, right? And so the hermeneutic that I try to follow is the kind of thing that was developed by reformers, Luther, Calvin, uh, Melanchthon, people like that in the 16th right. and the 17th century. And it's not perfect, but I think it's pretty internally coherent and, mm-hmm. and systematic. So I think what's going to happen is that you're going to have a seven-year period. Uh, uh, it is generally referred to as the tribulation. This, this, the second half or the latter part is often referred to as the great tribulation. And during that time, God will simply stop restraining humanity. He was like, you guys want to play? I'm going to let you play. It's like, mommy and daddy are going on vacation for seven years. Bye. Behave. Right. What do you think is going to happen, yeah. right? And if the church is removed, if people who believe in objective morality, who believe in God, who are busy worshiping God, who are busy providing care for people, do you know who invented hospitals? Christians. Do you know who invented universities? Christians. These are all medieval Christian inventions. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Science comes from a bunch of people who believe in an orderly God who made an orderly universe. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I mean, it, um, and it was a you know messy path to civilization, of course. Um, of course and I think people forget that. They want to put it through our own you mm-hmm. know framework, uh, modern framework, but but uh, Christians and specifically Judeo-Christian values are what civilized our world, and that's and that's we're bearing the fruit of, and they're wanting to tear it down. Even though they're misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic, phobic, phobic, 
Don't yeah, don't yeah. you love the metaphor phobic? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a language guy, so I'm like, do you realize how? Do you realize what a weak rhetorical yeah. move? Black Lives Matter is and insisting that no one can say any other life. Do you yeah. realize that whether you are actually race a racist BLM person or not, right. let's just assume that this particular BLM person is not, they have no racial animus towards any others. It doesn't seem to be the case in a lot of cases. But let's Correct. assume that. Rhetorically, they have presented themselves as racist if you can't also say Asian lives matter. Right. Oh, no, you're not. So when I talk to people that I know that are BLM, I'm like, you're making a rhetorical mistake that will actually. And people immediately pounce on it. They're like, what do you mean you can't say? Of course, black lives matter. Of course they do. Because they're human, not because they're black. Right. Right. And so anyways, I believe that that seven year period is going to be a horrifying. And it's all laid out with the various judgments, bold judgments and seals and everything in uh, in 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 the book of Revelation, the apocalypse. Apocalypsis means unveiling, right? And so this is an unveiling. It's an unveil. Ultimately, it's the unveiling of who Christ is. That's right there in the opening of, of, of Revelation 1 and 2 and 3. But it's also, I think, an unveiling to humanity of what humanity is really like apart from God. Yeah. And it's ugly. Yeah. The ugliest thing we can imagine will be nothing compared to what will happen in a tribulation. Yeah, well, we're, I mean, you know, we're seeing a um, a taste of it, and by that I mean as close as we can get to, you know, to it um, in what's happening in our culture now, where you're seeing that there are, there are people that are living without any any real restraint now. So I can only imagine mm-hmm. when, you know, God ceases, ceases to hold it all together, um, you know, what it, what it will really manifest itself in. But yeah. um, so... Uh, here in our fellowship, and you know, P- Pastor Rob and Pastor Rick, and all that. One of the one of the biggest concerns, and I share this, and one of the things that that Rob is so fired up routinely about is there are a lot of believers that believe, okay, it's all over with. You know, we're we're at the end. It's coming. You know, we need to just you know just uh, back back away, do our thing, stop fighting, let it happen, go into our holes. Uh, you know, go on a hill, sell our possessions, you know, and there's a lot of that that's going on, Mm -hmm. you know, which, which some of it's a hopelessness and some of it I just think is a lack of courage in, you know, in fighting. So, you know, um, I believe, and this is, you know, again, I've already described, I do not have the depth of biblical knowledge that I probably should. I'm working on Nobody it. Nobody does. I, but I'm 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 growing. I'm growing yeah. and I'm inspired by guys like you and I'm inspired by Pastor Rob and others. And yeah. so I got people you know, inspire me too. Yeah. So I'm I've I've been definitely changing and, and you know working on on taking all of these details more seriously. Um but along those lines, you know, God built me as a warrior. He built me as a fighter. That's who I am through mm-hmm. and through. And I, even if, um, it, even if it is the end, um, and I have no hope of winning a battle, I am going to fight until I can no longer fight anymore. What There's do you a say? Time of war and a time of peace. Yeah. Solomon what do you say to chapter three? Yeah. What do you say mm-hmm. to those Christians that are bowing out and yeah. just saying, "Oh, have at it," you know, and and letting their uh, you know right. public schools fall to pieces and right. letting other people's children be abused? Because I think we have a, I yeah. think we have a responsibility mm. to fight for other people's kids as well. Sure. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, part of these things can be linked to your eschatology. So, you know, I can joke with my friends that are kind of amill or, or post-mill or whatever now and say, how's everything? Because, you know, a lot of them believe, oh, yeah, we're just going to take over. We're just going to capture everything and everything's going to become Christian. We're going to be a bunch of nice Presbyterians yeah. and everyone's going to be, you know, some right-wing Trump voter. That is not going to happen. It doesn't seem like Not right now. Now, yeah. maybe things go that way for the next 40 years and then I look like a fool. Yeah. That's why in the end, you just have to focus. What The whole point of eschatology is to bring hope. I mean, this is very clear in Paul. It's very clear in Peter in the New Testament. It is to give hope to believers. And the ultimate hope is not, you know, what is your precise eschatological framework and what, how do you use your Bibles and what's your hermeneutics? What actually matters is that for the believer, you have no reason to fear death. You have no reason to fear persecution. It's perfectly normal to fear pain right. because all kinds hurts. of pain hurt, right? <laughs> yeah. This is one reason it's good to train yourself with pain because that's the only thing that works. When students are like, how am I going to learn Latin? You're going to sit in your chair with your tea and your halogen lamp and it's going to hurt. Right. That's how you do it. There are no other ways. Yeah. So, so it, it, eschatology, the eschatological passages in the New Testament particularly are designed to give hope to believers. Your ultimate hope, I mean, this goes right back to some of the early Reformation con, you know, confessions. Um, you know, what is your only hope in life and death, right? It is Jesus Christ, right? Amen. If you're a believer, you believe that in the end, no matter what happens to you, the church, the world, in the end, it's God's world. He loves you and he will rescue you when it is time. And in the end, his saints are with him eternally in inexpressible joy. That's the ultimate point of eschatology. There are a lot of different ways people understand how we might yeah. we might get there. So, uh, do I think Christians should, uh, you know, get uh, you know nice, um, you know, ten gauge shotguns and shoot pagans? No, obviously not. Oh. Thou shalt not kill, but that's thou shalt not murder. Right. Right. Um, what, what's there, the what's the there, point of view? What's what's the point of view that uh, um, allows me to uh, fight in the end times with a sword? With that's a sword? the one I want to believe in. Right. Kidding. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it depends. Uh, in, in, in current I pray, circumstances, I, to... I would recommend, you know, a really well custom-built, you know, six-hour AR, something like that, as opposed to a sword, unless you're really fast. If you're like one of those kill uh, Listen, I just, look, I, I just, I'm, I'm telling you a childhood prayer that yeah. I had. And, uh, I did kendo I, and a bunch I, of martial I, I, arts I pray, weapons I prayed that I, I would like get to fight in the last battle, so, yeah. you know, maybe I'll um, get that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that there is a moment and a time to fight, certainly in the defense of other people that are helpless when you're in a position. There's no question there. I mean, the guy that went into the yeah. mall, eh, the guys are here. I, I, you know, I have no respect for someone that would voice the opinions that you gave me earlier of some people going, well, he wasn't supposed to have a gun in the mall. Yeah, how dare So he? you would rather have had 5, um, 10, 20 more people dead? The, the one one of the worst tweets I saw along those lines was you know somebody going to you know we should not murder and and literally they were talking about him and, and one I way, don't know how you could I don't know how you could celebrate that he murdered that guy and and yeah, I, I I'm just blown away that that, that well, is that someone and, has a thought and they would like that the one and they who calls that. good evil and evil good it's a it's bizarre right. yeah, it, yeah it it is bizarre um and so I, I think that uh, the primary weapon for fighting for believers, quite clearly in, in the Apostle Paul, are, are spiritual weapons, right? We do not fight against flesh and blood. It doesn't mean that you're never, you know, fighting against flesh and blood, but it means that our 
primary battle is a spiritual battle, right? We are fighting uh, against uh, really structures of ideas, you know, as Paul right. says, you know, we're, we're fighting against these, uh, these, these spiritual kingdoms and we're trying to tear down these, these structures. So it is primarily spiritual, but that doesn't mean all you do is pray. You also speak, you develop right. relationships with people, you build communities with people, and then you train people to be discerning enough. So, so when you have Christians who are like, well, you know, let's, you know, do what, you know, uh, you know, this Pastor Miller did in 1844, the guy that starts the Seventh-day Adventist movement. He's like, I've calculated the date. Jesus is coming back. I don't remember what the date was. In 1844, they go up on this hill, I think in Pennsylvania, they've got white robes. They've sold all their property, and Jesus doesn't come back, right? If Jesus says, I don't know the day or hour, then that probably applies to his followers too. So don't go setting dates, but an equal opposite error of don't go setting return dates or eschatological frameworks with that level of specificity is don't think that you are not supposed to interact with the people in the world in which you live. Right. God could have saved you out of it and taken you to heaven. He didn't. He left you here so that you could demonstrate what it means to follow him and invite other people to taste and see that the Lord is good, to quote Isaiah. I love right? that. So what you are saying is we need to keep at it. Ramp it up. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Turn it up to 11. I right? love it. I love it. Well, listen, um, that is a good way to wind ourselves up here. Um, and uh, I, I just appreciate you so much. Thank you. We've yeah, got to do this again. We've yeah, it'll be fun. we got to do this again. Let's, uh, let's uh, make you a regular guest. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'll always take you to dinner. I'll so. have my person call your person. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, all right, folks, uh, that's it for this episode of Liberty Station. I need you to do a favor. We have signed on with Salem. We are now a national podcast on their podcast network, and we are taking uh, time to move over our Godspeak uh, feed to its own Liberty Station channel. So if you would go on Rumble and subscribe to the Liberty Station podcast, Go on our uh, any anywhere that you get your podcasts. So if it's Apple, Google, Spotify, go on there and subscribe to the Liberty Station because over time we're going to be transitioning away from the Godspeak channel and and focusing on building this and um, you know making sure that we grow this station so we can pay Eric the engineer and all of the wonderful people behind the scenes that make this thing happen. So thank you so much for watching this program or listening to it. And if you've got any questions or comments or you've got guests to recommend or if you're Media Matters or uh, any of the transgender mob and you just want to scream at us, the um, email for our station is victory at libertystation.tv. Again, victory at libertystation.tv. Thank you for joining us.